This is Yolanda Robbins, your host of the Parish Property Chronicles. In this episode of the Parish Property Chronicles, the last before my summer hiatus, we're back to the French countryside in Burgundy, where my guest Brian Common, who with his husband Dean, purchased and restored a village townhouse in 2010. Let's hear how this Canadian chose his eventual retirement home in the village of La Charité sur Loire in the Burgundy region, just two hours beyond Paris. Brian, I want to thank you for joining us today on the Parish Property Chronicles and for sharing your story as well as your life in France beyond Paris. You and your husband are from Canada and currently live in the Vancouver metro area. Outside of Canada, you have an apartment in Paris in the 12th district, but today we're going to focus on your home in the Burgundy region in Bourgogne. Can you tell us where your country home is located and why you selected that area outside of Paris? Our country home is in a beautiful UNESCO World Heritage Village. It's called La Charité sur Loire. It's in the region of the Nieve, which is part of Bourgogne. We were visiting some very close friends, Byron and Kelly Harker, down in the village. They already live there. There's a number of expat Canadians, Americans, Brits in the area. While visiting them, we absolutely fell in love with this village. It's called like the City of Words. Cité de Mont, a lot of bookstores. It's a very, very quaint village, ancient. And looking around the village, it suddenly dawned on us that this is where we want to have a vacation property. At the time, we had been hunting for a vacation property in Canada, specifically in British Columbia. But as some of your listeners may know, property value in Canada is exorbitantly high, similar to cities like San Francisco and Hong Kong. Much of British Columbia is like that. We really couldn't find anything with the space that we wanted to entertain friends and family. Like many Vancouverites, we live in a relatively small apartment in Vancouver. So the opportunity to find space was really important to us. And we suddenly stumbled upon it in, uh, in, in the village in Bourgogne. In La Charité-sur-Loire, when did you purchase the home and what state was it in? We found it in 2009. And to be very specific, we bought it sight unseen. We had been through the village looking at some properties prior to that. And then we gave a long list of our wishes and desires to our friends Mm -hmm. to go searching for us. And with the help of some local agents and a local notaire, they stumbled upon this property. So you actually didn't visit the property before you purchased it in 2009. That's right. Uh, oh, wow. We did have extensive photos and videos, so we knew exactly what we were looking at. And we had a lot of details about the property. Every inch of that property was photographed for us. And then we took the leap. What renovations were required, if any? Oh, this was almost a complete gut job, as they say in the business. Okay. The property is a village townhouse, meaning you share common walls with the properties beside you. Parts of the building were up to 800 years old, and it had been added on to over the centuries. So there was a mishmash of styles and architectural elements, and the property itself had been divided up into two or three apartments at some point, and probably hadn't seen any kind of real renovation since the 70s. 
how did you go about undertaking these renovations and how long did it take? Well, right about that time in 2009, really that's when the crise economique or the, you know, the economic crisis of 2008 was really starting to take hold in Europe and North America too, for that matter. Mm-hmm. We had a five-year plan to renovate the project. And instead, that plan got a bit accelerated because there was such an abundance of local artisans and local specialists who were desperately looking for work. We took it upon ourselves that it's now or never. Often, it's, it can be difficult sourcing the right experts to help you with a renovation. But because they were available, we decided to push ahead. Give us a sense of what was done to the property and how long it took to actually do all of the renovations. Well, the first few months was used just to tear things out of the house. We removed almost 110 tons, yes, 110 tons of debris and previous renovations, construction, faults, walls, things of that nature. And we took this building down to the shell of stone walls and wood beams and then started the long process of putting it back together. But you kept the facade facing the street entirely. The front facade of the building was about 250 years old, according to the local architect who helped us examine the building. The main shell of the building was approximately 400 years old. There was a dépendance, meaning sort of like a small sort of artist studio in the back of the property. It's a walled property. The artist studio was about 250 years old. And the original structure, which was fully integrated and not really discoverable until we tore it all apart, we discovered the original part of the building was approximately seven to 800 years old. Oh my goodness. Can you describe for our listeners after the renovation, what you created? So how many bedrooms from the the sub-basement up to the top and even the guest house? We created approximately 4,000 square feet of living space over four floors, plus the outer structure, Dependance Cottage in the backyard, so to speak. We created a four-bedroom property. One of the bedrooms is sort of the loft up in the grenier, or what we might think of as the attic, Mm -hmm. uh, which came together really beautifully with the help of some skylights for extra light, which is allowed in these villages, even though the properties are protected somewhat by certain heritage clauses to be sympathetic with, with the rest of the village. What factors were important to you when looking for a property to purchase outside of Paris? I mean, was it location? Was it close to wine regions? Was it close to Paris? When purchasing outside of Paris, you have to be laser focused on the fact that you're buying a lifestyle. If you want the ideal, like bucolic French countryside lifestyle, then you have to keep in mind that those are the main factors that are going to go into your purchase. For us, it was really important that we could get in and out of Paris easily. So the village happens to be on a major expressway. There's a direct train from the village into Paris that goes down through the center of France, down into the cities of Nevers and all the way to Clermont-Ferrand. Besides those factors, you have to look at the health, the relative health of the village itself. 
And are you going to have the resources around you? And are they sustainable? Are the bakeries going to be sustainable? Is this village dying? One of the secrets of France that people discover, and sometimes it's an unpleasant discovery, is that the bucolic image of a small village in France is unfortunately a bit overplayed at the moment. Many of those villages are in long-term economic decline. And similar to what's happening in parts of Spain and Italy in the countryside, some of these villages may be abandoned over time. Right. Mm -hmm. Being outside of a city. Exactly. And we were really conscious to make sure that where we purchased was going to have a lifespan to it. One of the features of this particular village is that there are a lot of people living there who commute into Paris, exactly two hours south of Paris. Mm -hmm. And there are people who maybe telecommute, work a few days in Paris, and then come home for three-day weekends, four-day weekends. The 7 a.m. train going up to Paris is often absolutely full (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, with commuters. It's probably the furthest that anyone would want to live outside of Paris, but feel connected to Paris still. But, you know, given the current set of circumstances and how we live thanks to the pandemic, you can really work from anywhere. You don't necessarily have to be in a major city to work at the moment. So as long as you have access to that city and you have good high-speed internet access, you could work from just about anywhere. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit about the town, about the village? The village itself is centered on a beautiful cathedral, which at one point was one of the largest cathedrals in France before parts of it uh, were destroyed in a fire, perhaps 900 years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And the village itself was a major center for the Benedictine Order of Cluny. And the village was well known as being the site of one of the first working printing presses in France. So there's so many aspects of this village that make it a very well-known small village in France. It's also beautifully situated in between some rather major cities in France. It's sort of equidistant between Nevers, also the city of Bourges, about an hour to the west. Nevers, 30 minutes to the south. And Dijon is approximately an hour and a half to the northeast. So its actual location makes it possible for people living in the village to also commute to centers that are not just in Paris, but major centers around it. It's also right on the edge of the Sancerre wine region. Mm, I love Sancerre wine. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a lot down in the cob now, let me tell you. There's a lot of wine <laughs> uh, that we have collected and drank and enjoyed, I might add. So we're about, I'm going to say, 20 minutes away from the village of Sancerre and that particular wine region. You know what? It's also important to to let our listeners know uh, you can obviously drive from Paris to the village of La Charité-sur-Loire, but you can also take the train. It's less than two hours, but from the train station, you can walk to your property from the train station. So you don't necessarily need a car. Can you just describe uh, uh, under normal circumstances what you believe the differences between the the Paris and the the Burgundy lifestyle? is? Oh, definitely. Uh, Lunchtime is real when you are in Burgundy. Mm -hmm. 
And I think this is true of many places outside of the major cities that the lifestyle revolves around lunch. Lunch is a two hour experience. Many stores are closed. Some of them staggered, staggered times. And you have to plan your life around your lunch. And I know for North Americans, that may sound you know, like strange and odd, but there's no such thing as sleeping in late <laughs> in Berkeley and thinking you're going to get a full day's work done. You've got to get up in the morning. You've got to get some stuff done, make your plans, because you know that the world is going to basically shut down between noon and two in the afternoon. And then the world comes to life again between the hours of, say, two and seven. So you have to plan a lifestyle around that. If you're the kind of person, and I made this mistake many times, thinking, oh, I'll just sleep in, I'm on holiday. And you kind of casually get up around 10.30, maybe 11, have your coffee. You've had a quiet morning. And then you're thinking, you're planning your day, and what do I want to do? And then suddenly, lunch has slammed up against all of your plans. You can't properly go shopping for a lot of things that you might need, like a hardware store will be closed, things of that nature. So you have to be very, very punched in to the countryside lifestyle. Under normal circumstances, when you come to France, how often do you leave Paris and and spend time in the Burgundy house? Like every time you come to France, do you go to Paris and then you go to Burgundy or... We try to split our time. Normally, when we get to France, we will head directly to the village. Okay. And really just mellow out and relax in the village, perhaps for a week, Mm -hmm. uh, a bit more. And then we will head up to Paris once our jet lag is over. Okay. So you give yourself time to decompress and enjoy the time there. Can you tell us about some of the towns that are surrounding like some of the the the, the small towns? You talked a little bit about Sancerre, but are there other towns that you like to go to when you're when you're in La Charité sur Loire? Yes, there is a beautiful village called Apremont sur Allier, mm-hmm. which is let's say about 40 minutes south of the village, and this particular village is one of the most and it's named and the government has recognized it as one of the most scenic villages in all of France, contains a very extensive floral park. The village itself is right out of a Disney movie set. But it's a French folly in that it is a sort of 16th century, 15th and 16th century village that was reconstructed in the 1800s to look that way. So it's not as old as it looks, but it's still old. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a Disney reconstruction, but you have to look at it really closely and go, this is so beautiful and so pretty. It's an antique itself, built mostly in the late 1800s, but it was made to look older. And that's just one of many beautiful little villages in the area. Oh, that sounds lovely. I actually think I went there once with you and I didn't know that it was just from the 19th century because given the, the area that it's in, you would think it would be much older. But now that you say that, I'll have to look at it from a different perspective next time I go. In the particular area, there are a lot of what I would call the, and some of your listeners may be familiar with this idea, the $1 chateaus or the one euro chateaus can be found dotted throughout the countryside. These are 
homes that if you pick them up and put them somewhere else would be worth a fortune, but because of where they're located mm. uh, are really quite inexpensive. And I believe they're like the modern equivalent of the Instagram thirst trap. Mm-hmm. You drive past them in the countryside and you say, oh, if only I could have that big, glorious, dilapidated chateau and fix it up. And of course, it's all a mirage because if you were so inclined as to purchase one of these countryside chateaus, well, the first thing you have to do is spend half a million euros just putting a new roof on the place. And then they are quite protected by the architects of France. And you have to pour your life into these properties to bring them up to modern standards. But it is a glamorous, glamorous endeavor. And you can see a lot of people being swept up in it. I think North Americans have perhaps been watching a little bit too much home and garden television. You know what? <laughs> and I think it can be done at a weekend. <laughs> That's interesting that you say that because in Paris, there are not many restrictions because everything is done internally. But when you had to renovate your property, were you subject to any restrictions in terms of uh, historical preservation? Did you have to apply for, for certain permits? Yes. Within the, within the walls, the village of La Charité is surrounded, the old village I'm speaking of, mm-hmm. is surrounded by stone walls. They're not entirely intact now, but they're still the outline of where most of it is. And if you're living within the walls, the confines of the medieval village, you do have to adhere to certain architectural principles. There are some interesting rules. You are not permitted to have large windows that can be seen mm-hmm. in your line from the town square. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's just to preserve the visual integrity of the village. Also, when you are constructing or renovating a property that is within a UNESCO World Heritage Site, which the village has been deemed, at a certain point in your renovation project, the Architecte de Batement are basically you know, the state architect will drop by and wants to take a look at your property to see if during the process of your renovation, you have unearthed any particular artifacts or if the building has been found to be architecturally important or culturally important to the French Republic. Mm -hmm. And we did have our visit. And it was during that visit that the uh, the architect representing the state discovered parts of our home were nearly 800 years old. Mm. And at first, that got us a little bit nervous. There are some arcane rules in France where if your property is deemed to be architecturally and historically and culturally important to the state, they can buy it out from under you. Now, it's all done at a fair price, don't get me wrong. But we did have a day where we were a little concerned. While the architect was visiting the property for his inspection, he also took notice of a major niche that was in a wall in our dining room, which at one point had just been used as a plain linen cupboard. And in the process of the renovation, we discovered that it was actually a pre-do, which means it was like a niche in the wall where Catholic iconography would have been displayed on the wall. 
And there was also a baptismal font for holy water that had been carved with stone. Part of that had been broken. However, this lent further credibility that the property at one point had been occupied by high-ranking officials of the Catholic Church. Mm. You, so you talk about the, I mean, given the, the deep history of the property, you also talk about the transformation of the property. Has the town itself changed since you purchased in 2009? I find that this particular village that we're in is very, very proactive about continuing to pump life into the into the village. They sponsor many, many festivals. The outer buildings of the monastery, the former monastery properties, have been turned into exhibition spaces. There's a very large jazz festival that happens in the village every summer. The rather famous within France, Festival de Meaux, mm-hmm. basically a festival of poetry, mm-hmm. if I probably the proper translation, the way of describing it to North Americans. There is a major festival of poetry reading and books. So many writers come to La Charité in order to read selections from their works. So it's very well known as a literary capital, a literary cultural capital in central France. You're also just at the the edge of the Loire River and also of Loire itself. So it's very, the landscape is is very interesting. So you have the, the bucolic setting, but you also have the river, you also have wine country, you, you have the village. So it's a very picturesque. Yes, very pastoral. It's mm-hmm. meant for people to come and paint. And we have had some very, very well-known painters come, rent our village home, and then go out into the countryside and do a lot of painting, some of which they've grace, graciously left behind for us. I know that you and Dean plan to retire to France at some point, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. How do you envision that you'll divide your time between your Paris apartment and your home in Burgundy? Well, I can tell you in the summer when it heats up, I sure want to be out of Paris, <laughs> sitting, drinking wine in the cove, or what you know, your, some of your listeners might call the basement. We have a beautiful arched ceiling cove, all in stone, much of which we had to dig out because it had been covered in rubble and debris that had swept in from rains, perhaps. And that makes a beautiful wine tasting room down in the in the lower level of the property. And the temperature never goes really above 70 degrees Celsius, probably a little less. Mm-hmm. So in the hot summer months, escaping to your cove is a wonderful pastime. When you eventually do retire to France, do you see yourself applying for French citizenship at some point in the future? We do. Canada and France have a very friendly immigration treaty between the two countries. So it is relatively easy for Canadians to relocate to France, not just for extended visits, but also to be on the road towards citizenship if they so desire. Otherwise, Canadians are allowed to be in France because of the historical connections between Quebec and France. So we do plan to spend our retirement in France as much as possible. I would expect to split my time between Paris and the village. Okay, cool. Do you have any words of wisdom for our listeners if they're interested to purchase property, where they should look in purchasing a property outside of Paris? 
Yes, I would. I would really remind people who are interested in buying outside of Paris that you must pay careful attention to the economic conditions of the area that you're looking at. Will it survive in the long run? This is not to say that there's anything wrong with the French countryside. It's just that our image of the French countryside with its multiple rolling villages is not really economically sustainable in the modern world. And so many French people are now leaving the French countryside themselves to move to better economic opportunities in the city. Mm -hmm. So if you're in North America moving to a French countryside, you're going for the bucolic, quiet, pastoral images. And you have to remember that the people who actually live there, they need to make a living in that area. Mm -hmm. So you coming in yourself, you're probably not there to make a living yourself. You're probably there enjoying the fruits of your previous career when you settle down in rural France. So of you course. must be respectful. You have to be respectful of that. So make sure that you are you know, in an area that has good internet connections. I can't stress that enough. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're near very good transportation routes to travel around and to also make generous use of the local crafts people. I'm talking, you know, the local plumber, the stonemasons, the electricians, make sure that you are utilizing the skills of the local population. It's super important for you when, if you, especially if you are a, you know, quote unquote, a foreigner moving into the French countryside, you need to be respectful of the life that has been established there because you're buying a life that they are having trouble sustaining. Make sure you're contributing to that. That's very helpful information. Thank you so much. And I want to thank you again for joining us today on the Paris Property Chronicles and sharing your story with us, just being outside of Paris uh, when you come to France. Oh, thanks, Yolanda. I want to thank you all for listening and supporting the first season of the Paris Property Chronicles. Even though I'm taking a much-deserved break, this summer you can enjoy my episodes again or for the first time wherever you get your podcasts as well as on my website and on World Radio Paris. I hope you have a great summer and I'll see you back here for season two in the fall. I'm Yolanda Robbins. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Paris Property Chronicles. Property tailored for you.